0: Table Reads, with Sean McBee and Joshua Baker.
1: Hello, America and the world.
2: Hello, Welcome hello. back
1: to Table. I still need like an opening, like
2: like hook. Sure. Like table readers. Call them table readers. Hello, What's up? shitheads. What's up, oh, readers? What's up, table readers? Nice What's up, table readers? What's up, city fans? <gasps>
3: I mean I'm immediately hooked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you got you got one. Yeah, yeah. Like, like for titty yeah, pants. I just
3: unliked and reliked the Facebook page. <laughs> oh man, that's not helping at all. no. no. Welcome
1: to episode 78, I believe, 78. of Table Reads. 78. I why why would I even say it if I'm not sure?
3: 78 sounds right. 78's the big one. That's a milestone everybody goes to. Exactly. Welcome to Preacher Part 2.
1: We are reading Preacher by John August, who, I'm sad to tell you all, is a good writer and has written a good thing here. I don't know why he keeps writing all these Tim Burton things. Tim Burton, I am certain, is fucking up this guy's scripts.
3: Has to be. Maybe by, he's reading this By like being Tim good. Burton.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, this this guy, if he ever listens to this, he's, uh, he's going to be like, Yo, Tim's my friend, man. What... What you talking shit on Tim for? Tim Burton used to be my very favorite director. Not a joke. I mean, do you see all my Batman shit?
2: Yeah. So, nineteen eighty nine Batman. Nineteen eighty nine Batman really changed my entire life. Yeah.
1: That was that was my nerd coming out.
2: Sure.
3: I like that.
1: It was it was puberty for my nerd brain. Nerd birdie. Whatever. Uh, Tim Burton was great, and then he stopped that and started being what he is now. Yeah. But John August fucking killing it with this script, guys.
3: Into yeah. the next
2: Batman script. This um, is so good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's I really know. good.
1: And I'm sure that Garth Ennis loves this. And I thought I had his email address. Turns out I don't. Oh. Plus So I I guess I'm not going to find out, but I love this. You love this. I you love, love it. this? I love Absolutely. It. I love we it. love this. So, guess what? We're going to fucking read it.
0: Previously on Table Reads.
1: <laughs> so last time, we started off by meeting the Saint of Killers, a cowboy with a heart so full of hate that he froze hell over, and then, just to top it off, killed the motherfucking devil.
0: You can't do that.
1: From there, we met young Jesse Custer, then younger Jesse Custer, then back to young Jesse Custer, then grown up, but still kind of young Jesse Custer. Hey there. uh, Which is when he meets a hot little firebrand named Tulip O'Hare, who he then settles down with. And, you know, we went through a lot of Jesse's childhood. When I say a lot, I mean all. We saw his father get murdered in front of his eyes. We found out he was raised by some creepy culty religious people. They put him in a coffin and or
2: tossed him in a lake.
1: Yeah, and he uh, made friends with an imaginary version of John Wayne that I did a terrible impersonation of. I mean, it was bad. I was, I was like in my head going, "Why isn't this coming out right? I know I can do John
2: Wayne." It wasn't. It wasn't nearly as bad as you're making it out. No, no, no. You did all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was. It was pretty bad. I'll. I'll try to get it better later. I just I'll, maybe I have to Remember when you did the Irish accent? Oh man,
2: and, that was rough. And faith and, <laughs> faith and got yeah, you there. Yeah, that totally helped. I
1: think Well, howdy, partner. Yeah. Will get me there to John Wayne. You're getting close. Yeah, that was still terrible. It's I'm still close. Do you it's have close. cigarettes? I You could have like don't.
2: A, a fake you don't? like a fake piece of paper or something that might help. I have a fuck communism lighter.
3: Oh. <laughs> A there's, a, there's a lot of that in the first episode too. That, there was. If you guys want to
2: hear that. a lighter clicking. First then, episode. Then, <laughs> then go back to, to part one. If
3: if that's what really rings your bell, get in there. It's that new podcast direction, the lung cancer ASMR that you're shooting for. <laughs>
1: so when we left uh We just saw Jesse being happy with Tulip. That's probably not going to change at all, right? I mean, that's just going to be the status quo from here on out, right? Yeah, that's
3: what the movies are about. Yeah. Things staying the same.
1: Yeah, and being just happy. Once you hit page 25, like, you're set.
3: Oh, this is the end game now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, then it's just coasting the rest of the way.
3: Fade in.
1: Exterior, Durango, night. Snow clings to the peaks of the Sangre de Christos, wind swaying the tops of the giant pines. The night sleeps well. Fade out. Exterior, small house, day. Jesse scrapes the ice and snow off the windshield of his truck. As he finishes, he notices the sound of wind chimes. Huh. He doesn't spot the tiny flicks of light around him, They couldn't be fireflies. It's too cold. We can see his breath. Interior, truck, day. Jesse puts his thermos on the seat. Starts the ignition. In the rearview mirror, we see a man watching him. It's the Blanc. Jesse doesn't see him as he pulls out of the driveway. Exterior, Colorado Road. Colorado, Colorado County Road. I can't speak. Day. That's a rough one lazy flakes of snow drift down from the heavens 60 feet up jesse is working in a harness replacing ceramic insulators on a power pole it's dangerous painstaking work particularly given the cold he sees a pickup truck pull up next to the power line repair truck at the base of the pole the base of the pole (laughs) two men get out of the pickup jesse can't see their faces from this angle jesse's crewman walks over to talk with the men. Suddenly, the crewman is down in the snow, dead or unconscious. The smaller of the two men aims a rifle up at Jesse. It's TC. The bigger one is Jody. Jesse, your grandma has a job for you. Hold on Jesse. There's no conceivable way to run. Cut to exterior county road, day. Jesse unclips from his harness, keeping his eyes locked on TC and Jody both have aged but not as much as you'd think Jody could still beat a gorilla to death how'd you find me
2: your grandma Marie has connections in very high places shouldn't she be dead she's a hundred years old like I said
1: high places I love your Jody voice it is perfect it's Chris? almost like you know who these characters are I know a lot of people that do math oh great Jesse takes a look at his crewman, still splayed on the asphalt. Yeah, you were teasing.
3: You're you're everybody right now. It's a one-man show. Friend
2: of yours? Nah. Get in the truck.
1: Never. Jody walks up, towering over him. Jesse stands his ground. I can still break you in half. We'll see. Cut two. exterior diner, interior pickup, day. Through a snowy smear, we see a cozy diner serving lunch to truckers and shopkeepers. This is Jesse's POV. Reverse to find Jesse leaning against the pickup truck window. He's taken a fierce beating. His right eye is nearly swollen shut.
2: You hungry, Jesse? Hell, I can sure use a piece of pie. That one looks good. Through the diner window, reveal Tulip.
1: She's a waitress. She chats with an elderly couple at a window booth.
2: What did you say, Jody? Want to split it? Her name's Tulip, right? Bet she smell... Oh. Her name's Tulip, right? Bet she smells good. Fuck you. Do what Marie says and we won't lay a finger on her. But you say one word to her and anybody at TC cuts her tits off. And that's just for starters. You know how he likes it. Stopping him. What does she want? You're going back to Texas? There's a bunch in... <clears throat> there's a church in Anvil. Brand new. You're gonna be the preacher. Why? Because Marie says so. Fucking ingrate. That woman raised you. You were an orphan.
1: Jesse just glares. He won't give them the pleasure of recounting how
2: he became an orphan. You're going to go to Anvil, and you're going to preach the word of the Lord. For how long? As long as it takes.
1: Exterior, church at Anvil, day. A key slides into a lock. Jesse opens the door to the chapel. He's wearing a black shirt with a clerical collar. His iconic outfit. His face is still badly bruised. As he walks inside, we crane up, getting a better view. The church itself is unremarkable—a simple white steeple. But from this high angle, we notice something unusual about the land around it. The ground has been raised in concrete berms.
3: Concentric.
1: Concentric berms. I was conf- I was focused on berms. Right. <laughs> Does anybody know what a berm
2: is? Yeah. yeah it's so it's pile like
3: of a dirt. That makes yeah, it yeah a pile barrier. of dirt. Yeah. Oh. You ride mountain bikes on them. Berms? On berms. Yeah. Mountain bike berms. Yeah. They say that word about a million times in making a murderer on Netflix.
2: (laughs) 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 That's where you learned it. Where I got it from.
3: (laughs) It's a good place to. I I learned it riding mountain bike.
1: So. Well, all right. (laughs) I learned a new word today, everybody. It's berms. Not concentric, but berms raised in concentric berms, forming a giant circle. With the if it's concentric, wouldn't it be a couple of giant circles?
2: Huh? Yeah. No, that's Ah. true. He's right. He's right. Like (laughs) almost like a maze. (laughs) Busted script. With the, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we
3: found the mistake. Oh, this guy really fucked. Oh God, it sucks! Only ten more minutes of this.
1: (laughs) Uh, With the church at the center, it's like nothing you'd notice on the ground. It's nothing you'd notice on the ground, but looking down from the clouds, it's very distinct, almost a bullseye. I don't know what
2: I'm supposed to say exactly.
1: Transition to interior church at Anvil, day. Jesse is up at the lectern, giving his sermon. There are only three people in the whole church.
2: I can tell you what's in the Bible. I know every word of it. Gotten beaten into me when I was a kid. But knowing the word ain't the same as knowing the answers. Half the time, you're not even sure of the questions.
1: Close on one of the audience members. A lone woman with a headscarf. Probably cancer.
2: But if I'm going to stand here talking at you, guess we might as well ask, why does the world seem so perfect yet so broken? She nods in recognition. As we come around on her,
1: we reveal a new family sitting behind her. We're compressing seven months of Sundays into a single sermon. Each week, the church is a little more full.
2: Jesse's wounds heal. His strength returns. Why would a God that loves us treat us so bad? And why would... Why would he care so much what we think of him? Shouldn't he be bigger than that? Jesse's questions get a
1: good reaction from the audience. He's not giving false hope, he's speaking the truth. Feel free to preacher this up a bit while he's giving his sermon.
2: He keeps us asking to prove our love, but the only time I felt love, the only time I felt love, it was just there. It just happened. The only people who demanded love were psychopaths trying to scare me into obedience. Is that the kind of God that we want? The church is now nearly
1: full. It's a crowd of misfits and outcasts who don't fit in at other churches. Bikers and 12-steppers, strippers and spinsters.
2: And what kind of boss is he, anyway? One of his lieutenants betrays him and he gives him the kingdom of hell? He has this celestial bureaucracy, saints and angels to hear our prayers, but we never get to know why, exactly. Exterior, church at Anvil, day, storming.
1: Dark clouds cover the sky, riled by strong winds.
2: It's all top secret. Heaven is one giant CIA. We're supposed to have faith and faith. Do as we're told.
1: The clouds part in a circle above the church. Interior, church at Anvil, day, continuous.
2: Back on Jesse, fully in his moment. Then why give us free will in the first place? If we're just puppets, show us the strings. Or cut us loose if you're even there. Suddenly, the doors blow open. A sphere
1: of glowing prismatic radiance swooshes down the center aisle. As it moves, it emits a piercing drone, a swirl of bizarre chords. The sphere hits Reverend Jesse Custer square in the chest, throwing him back like a rag doll. Tendrils of liquid light force their way into Jesse through his ears, mouth, nose, and eyes until every glowing bit is gone. The sound dissipates, each note resolving. In the stunned audience, one man speaks up first. Reverend, you okay? Jesse climbs to his feet, grabs the lectern, woozy, his eyes open, glowing red.
3: I am. That didn't work. You want to do it again?
2: I am.
1: His voice is a thousand notes at once, like nails on the chalkboard of your soul. He grips the lectern as a dark light envelops him. His feet lift off the ground. Shadowy wings unfurl, angelic yet sinister. A light erupts from Jesse's chest, radiating outward, consuming him. He fights it, but it keeps growing brighter.
2: You guys enjoying this? It's, this is metal. It's as like fuck. metal as fuck. You know, fuck. I mean, like I'm yeah. playing like metal solo over
3: here. Like no 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 no. Just coming in, man, 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 Yeah, it's fucking awesome.
1: <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Hold on just a second. Oh, dude,
3: if you got like some fast paced rip metal, like that's the scene right here.
1: But, oh, there we go.
3: Oh, there it is. Is that metal enough? Yeah, Yeah, no, that's awesome. Perfect. That's the scene.
1: (laughs) Exterior church day. The light inside the church flares so bright that the stained glass windows work in reverse, sending shafts of colored radiance into the stormy sky. And just as suddenly, it stops. We find Jesse Custer at the podium. He opens his eyes, no longer glowing red. He looks at his hands. He has pressed impossibly deep welts into the wood with his fingertips. He looks out to his congregation. One hundred smoking corpses sit in the pews, ignited from within by the event. Their bodies are cinders and ash. Their clothes have only been mildly singed by the conflagration conflagration of the flesh. Dumbfounded, Jesse stumbles off the stage, walking down the aisle. He gags from the smoke and stench. Exterior, church, day. Jesse falls to his knees in front of the church looks up at the rolling sky for answers. The hole in the clouds fills in, a curtain drawing shut. Cut to black. Fade in. Exterior, roadside motel, day. One story of painted cinder block and aluminum windows, built a decade before big highways left this town and island. Two men in their fifties sit in front of the manager's office, listening to a football game on the radio. The whir of insects is almost as loud. Interior, motel room, bathroom, day. Fresh from the shower with a towel around his waist, Jesse stares into the pitted mirror over the sink, desperately trying to see beyond his face to whatever force is swirling inside him. Wider, we see the cowboy leaning back against the doorway, as always, the details of his face are lost within the shadow of his hat. Um, this is his first line. Why don't you go ahead and do no, your you, best, William Money?
3: Not John Wayne. It's not. Who's William Money?
2: I thought the I thought this cowboy was, was John Wayne. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's right? you. This is the Santa Killers. This is yeah, me. that's you. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> Hold on. Give me that name again, so I can Google it. William, Mon- old William Money. What happened today, there ain't two things like it.
1: Folks will wonder how you walked away. I don't know. They're gonna come asking. Got till sunup before the morning paper has your face. or the clerk sees it and wonders what kind of man he put in room 106.
2: What kind of man am I?
1: Best find someone to remind you. A beat, then Jesse heads to the main room. As he passes where the cowboy was standing, the phantom gunman is gone. Jesse is alone, as he always was. Jesse sits on the bed, picks up the phone, and dials from memory. Cut two, Interior, Pickup Truck, Day. A cell phone buzzes on the dashboard. A woman's hand lifts the phone, checks the caller ID. Unknown caller. Wider. We see its tulip. She considers answering, but ultimately clicks to send the call to voicemail. She flips down the visor mirror, checks her makeup. Overdone. Borderline trashy. Just right. Breathes twice, psyching herself up. Grabs her bag, and gets out of the car. Title over. Two. The girl he left behind. Exterior. The rhino. Day. Continuous. Tulip cuts across the parking lot of Houston's most infamous strip club. Except for the sign, there's nothing to distinguish it from the warehouses and industrial plants around it. Tulip's outfit matches her makeup, with a skirt so short that her jacket nearly covers it. Interior, the rhino entrance. Day. Tulip enters from the blindingly bright parking lot. It takes a beat for her eyes to adjust to the darkness. The Samoan Bouncer... Big Jimmy is wiping down his booth with Windex. He eyes Tulip. Here to see Wallace. He expecting you. It's a titty bar. Didn't think I needed an appointment. Interior, the Rhino Bar, main club, day. Big Jimmy leads Tulip along the back of the club, where the music is pounding and thumpy. No matter what the time on the clock, it's permanent night inside. A dozen or so patrons are the truly sad or devoted. The dancer on stage is 10 years and 3 overdoses beyond her prime. Yikes. One <laughs> tall, effete man, Jesus de Sade, moves to intercept them. He's been waiting for an hour. He has to yell over the music. Um, now Jesus de Sade should be one like over Antonio
2: the top Antonio Banderas.
3: Game. Okay, I
2: you want me to do it? You can want to do gay.
3: Like how? Like like, like um, it's like Jesus. I don't know how to like Spanish you, gay like in like like an Antonio Bandaras.
1: No, 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 no. He should be
2: like I got like 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 gay. Hank Azaria in Birdcage. Oh what? no, no,
1: you know what I'm saying. Oh
2: no, 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 no. I flew from San Francisco for this. <laughs> you do it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I flew from me- San Francisco
3: for this. <laughs> I think that's a little more Spanish than I'm going. I'm going. I'm, yeah, I'm really yeah, hanging maybe. on the Jesus part. Uh, actually, it might be Jesus, the I'm not sure how it's
1: pronounced. You know, like Jesus in Walking Dead is Jesus, not Jesus. Right. right. He might be the same. I don't well, recall. Well, if you kind of kicked it off. There.
3: Like, I think you should you wanna get, get do this. Him? Guy. You want to do him? I don't know. You, you went ahead and did it Did it right.
1: Fine. I flew from San Francisco. Fi- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs>
3: I got nothing like that in me, brother.
1: You took it to another level. I flew from San Francisco for this. You know how much a private jet costs? Big Jimmy unlocks a private door. They know you're here, Mr. Desaad. Big Jimmy gets the door open, waves Tulip through. Desaad tries to follow, but Big Jimmy blocks him. I want to know if he's worth it. Have you ever seen him with your own eyes? I don't work the basement. Exasperated, Desaad turns his attention to Tulip. I don't think I'm doing his voice right. As I recall, he's much more...
3: Hmm. Like Tim Gunn? Like, you're looking for that kind of effeminate? Oh, no, no. No. Tim Gunn's way too classy for this guy. Oh, goodness. Uh,
1: exasperated, Desod turns his attention to Tulip. You. Do you eat shit? Could I have a bear? Fuck you. A real bear, not a fat man. Big Jimmy holds out a warning finger. Cool it. He shuts the door, keeping Dasad on the far side. Big Jimmy locks the door again with a key. Tulip notes this. Vietnamese sister. <laughs>
3: Everything is locked. You can't get in without keys. Cut two. Interior small apartment. I went ahead and bit the bullet. For you guys. <laughs> <night>. <laughs> no deliberation. Let's just let's just
1: knock that one out. Flashback. Oh, uh. Overt racism in the readings is totally okay here.
3: Go, I, I don't feel like it i you feel like like you did, feel feel like you you did your best like yeah i'm here for a limited time i wanted to save you guys from that conversation like That's we got great. gay jesus going i figured i'll just throw some you're doing a good job i appreciate that i feel like we'd have to read it like a preacher you're doing god's work <gasps> i did it
1: <laughs> flashback tulip sits at the tran family's kitchen table talking with the father mother and 21 year old sister they've been in the country four years Vietnamese father The mother never speaks Just keeps wiping away tears No, it's It's uh Like Like a prison? prison? Yeah, I think those What you want? I Uh, think those brackets mean that he's speaking in Vietnamese And we're gonna subtitle it
2: I don't speak Vietnamese Yeah,
1: you just read the line though
2: The mother never speaks No, that's
1: direction No You say like a prison
2: Just say Like a prison
1: the mother never speaks, just keeps wiping away. There might be oh, a I formatting error. Oh, here. I
2: got it. I got it. I'm confused.
3: The mother never speaks, <laughs> just keeps wiping away tears. Upstairs is just for show. The basement is where they make the money. You ever go down there? You don't go down there when they come back. Wait, sorry. <clears throat> I hate to have to read that twice. You don't go down there and come back.
1: Tulip looks at the high school graduation photo of Alice Tran a younger sister noticeably absent from the table. Back to, interior, the Rhino slash Wallace's office, day. Tulip buttons her shirt, audition over. Club owner Wendell Wallace, a chubby man with a walrus mustache, waves Big Jimmy out the door, fetches an application and tax form from his desk. Tulip watches as Jimmy locks the door behind him. It's a key deadbolt on both sides. I don't care who. Somebody read it. You uh, Where else have you danced? What? You
3: check references? I need girls who will show up and shut up. That's me. That's you? Are you a smart girl? Sure. Smart girls are trouble. Are you trouble? I'm not trouble.
1: Mr. Wallace, I'm just here to make some money. I'm not in it for the art. That almost gets Wallace to smile. He hands her a clipboard. What's a stripper supposed to do with a clipboard?
3: Smack her butt with it? Keep notes. Smack a... As uh, Tulip
1: starts working on the forms, Wallace's (laughs) eye... I was saving you guys from yourself. She worked on forms. (laughs) Wallace's (laughs) eyes drift over to a bank of three video monitors, which rotate between surveillance cameras throughout the club. Something he sees in one monitor sets him off.
3: He grabs his walkie. Jimmy, boot the guy in three on it. Afternooners are the worst. Drunks and weirdos.
1: Wallace turns back to Tulip, surprised to find himself staring at a nine millimeter. Drop the radio. Now. A beat. Then Wallace tosses the walkie aside in disbelief. What's this? Stick up job? Vendetta? Alice Tran. Eighteen years old? Fuck. You cut her to pieces and set her car on fire. Bullshit. She clocked out. What's in the basement? Wallace tries to read her, gauging how much she knows. That's where you
3: took her, isn't it? That's where you make all your money. Her, her sister, right? She got you into this, fucking gooks. You think you're going to get a grunt point confession? It'll never hold up. I know. She fires. The first bullet hits
1: right between Wallace's eyes. The next to eliminate any doubt. He's very dead. Tulip reacts more than she expected to. She's a great shot, but not a natural killer. Actual death is still unsettling. We can only get 7,000. I know you said 10. It's enough. Interior, small apartment, Houston, night. Flashback. Tulip points to a rough sketch of the rhino's floor plan.
3: How do I get out? The office has an emergency exit. It goes right into the alley, but there's an alarm.
1: That's fine. I'll be quick. Back to interior of the Rhino slash Wallace's office, day. Tulip slides the heavy desk across the room, blocking the hallway door. Takes four discs from the surveillance system. There will be no trace she was ever here. Gathering her bag, she heads for the emergency exit at the back of the room. Pushes the bar, setting off a piercing alarm. The door only swings open three inches. Exterior, alley, day. The door is blocked by the bumper of a 2006 Toyota Corolla, despite a sign saying absolutely no parking. It's very specific.
3: Uh, like, you think somebody like cut him off that day, and he's like, yeah. a fucking 2006 <laughs> Toyota Corolla silver. I'll show you, you fucking asshole. Yeah, you're immortal now. 2006 Toyota
1: Corolla. <laughs> License plate QL three one seven two. Uh. We're
3: at the Rhino.
1: Oh yes, interior of the Rhino Wallace's office day. Tulip tries to slam the door open. She can't see what's blocking it, but it's clearly not budging. She spots Big Jimmy and three other bouncer types on the security monitors. They are all rushing to check on the alarm. With no apparent op... Check on the alarm. Not the three gunshots. Nope, those are fine. <laughs> those are normal. <laughs> she spots Big Jimmy and three other bouncer types on the security monitors. They are all rushing to check on the alarm. With no apparent options, Tulip reloads. She'll shoot her way out if she has to. She drops a clip on the ground. Picking it up, she notices a brass keyhole in the floor. It was underneath Wallace's desk. A trap door. Tulip searches Wallace's body for keys, finds the ring. Ten keys, no labels. Ain't that just the fucking way? Pounding at the door. On the monitor, we see it's Big Jimmy. Wallace. Forcing herself to remain calm, she looks through each key on the ring, picking the most likely candidate. The hallway door slams against the desk. Tries it. She was right. She opens the trapdoor to reveal a ladder leading down into darkness, the basement. Interior, basement, day. Low ceiling and cinder blocks. Bare light bulbs scarcely push back the dark. Down here, we can hear the distant alarm still blaring above, along with the heartbeat like thumping of the music in the club. <laughs> 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 Tulip reaches the bottom of the ladder. She immediately trains her gun on the open trapdoor above. She moves back along a wall, brushing up against leather straps and hand tools. She doesn't doesn't notice that a human arm is dangling behind her, wrists still bound in shackles. She sees movement at the top of the ladder, prepares to take her shot. Suddenly, the trapdoor shuts. They're not coming down. They're locking her in. Tulip wipes back her sweaty hair and tries not to panic. You're new. Tulip looks around, startled. She doesn't know where the voice
2: is coming from. You're a girl, and scared, right? Beer is an easy one to smell. Name's Cassidy. How did you know? I read a little bit. You fuckhole. <laughs> With more words, his
1: Irish accent comes through strongly. Where are you? Shelf, I think. I could see a light bulb. He must be lying. The only shelf is in the far corner of the room and holds a single cardboard file box. <laughs> a bloodstain is soaking through the edge. Still, Tulip cautiously approaches, gun drawn.
2: Indeed, the voice does seem to be coming from the box. I'm thinking, being you're afraid, we might be in a similar predicament. Not identical, granted, but... Tulip looks into the box, where she sees the
1: head of Prosinus. Cassidy.
0: Table Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors.
2: What's up docs and docketts, Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic here, and if you like old cartoons and watching online reviewers dissect them, then you probably said the same thing I did about two years ago. Hey, what the f— fu-
0: Here, watch your language, bud. We're on the air.
2: No. I said, why the heck isn't there a Looney Tunes critic? I mean, nobody's devoted strictly to Looney Tunes merry Melodies, and whenever people do review that stuff, half the time they get it wrong. And they're all millennials, too, so everything before 1985 is racist. Ugh. Well, I'm the guy you want anyway. Every Saturday morning, I do a brand new commentary of a Warner Brothers short. All throughout the month, I do video essays examining the history of these cartoons. And every few months, I do a full-length review and or interviews with people who worked on Looney Tunes projects. Catch my videos on YouTube.com slash Ferris Wheelhouse 2 or just use the hashtag Looney Tunes Critic. And now, here's Eric Bauza, the new voice of Bugs Bunny, to bring this commercial home.
0: You've been listening to Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic. Ain't he-, he a stinker? lights camera, action so the movie's a part, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel now back to table reads
1: I was really excited about that Cassidy reveal and coming right about half an hour into the episode was fucking great timing
2: I'm really excited
3: i'm glad you read ahead and we didn't have that awkward conversation well he irish. mentioned there was
2: an irish thing so i was like i don't know when it's going to happen and i didn't want to be like you know do my borat thing again
3: i, I thought you were actually <laughs> making like an on-the-fly choice no 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 no, 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 <laughs> like, no. Like, he mentioned he Very mentioned it bold.
2: earlier and i just scrolled down a little bit and i heard i saw irish and i was like oh
3: good i noticed
2: you're using your phone and yeah, the battery died
1: Oh, Android, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of us. One of <laughs> us. Not on your life, pal. So, yeah, this is just so good. It's really good. It's it's so good. I don't even want to stand here talking to you assholes. I want to just fucking <laughs> I want to know what happens next, there. like Let's fucking do it. Fade in. It speaks Seemingly unimpaired by its impossibility I didn't even wait for the scene to finish I just saw Head in a box Out! <laughs> <laughs> we might could help each other Tulip aims the gun at the head Unnerved to the core Cassidy's POV Tulip is backlit Her blonde hair glowing in the light You can't blame Cassidy for thinking I, you're an angel what the fuck are you? Irish Catholic, but I'm open-minded. He's been saying that for a century. These fuckers up there. Uh, uh, Ooh. Them fuckers up there. Them fuckers up there. What say we Bonnie and Clyde them? Off Tulip's disbelief. Cut to montage. <clears throat> Tulip unshackles the arm from the wall and a leg, retrieves a torso wrapped in plastic. <laughs> Suppressing her squeamishness, Tula lifts Cassidy, Cassidy's head from the cardboard box, presses it to the neck of the torso, where veiny tendrils grab tight. I'll pause real quick for you guys here. Have either of you seen the show Misfits? British show? Nope. Asbos? Nope. No, sir. Nope. You are missing out. The guy that plays Cassidy on the TV show, the Preacher TV show, is uh, a bloke by name by the name of Joe Gilgan. And he's also on Misfits. And both shows are amazing. And you guys need to just go home and watch them Where do
2: you these. get time to watch all this TV? <laughs> I
3: don't think <laughs> he's watching things like we watch. <laughs> he's not really wasting his time. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: no. He's no, no, like, no. no. I watch a lot of things. In fact, I am, I've been so busy at work, I am way behind on my shows. Mm. Like five episodes are out at this point, as we're recording this, of American Gods, which is one thing I've been like, chomping at the bit to I'm see. I'm caught up on that. Haven't seen a single one.
2: Hey, I'm caught up on that.
1: I, I'm i so far behind on shows. This is me. This is me. Okay. I'm so crazy at work. I can't even catch up on my shows. This is also me. It's probably time to rewatch Parks and Recreation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a conundrum wrapped in a moron. I don't know. Uh, but, but, but With arms attached, Cassidy works on his legs. He's filthy and naked with a junkie's thin body. But there's something fascinating about the way he moves, like an unstrung puppet assembling himself. He stretches his arms, cracks his neck. He retrieves a pair of sunglasses from the shelf. That's all he's wearing. Answering her unasked question.
2: My dick'll grow back. I'm just gonna feed. Not on you, love. Love. You're
1: He heads for the ladder. Cut two. Interior. The Rhino slash Wallace's office. Night. Blood drips off the edge of a counter. Reveal Cassidy. Getting dressed in clothes, he's taken off one of the four bodies on the floor. He wipes the blood off his mouth. Cleans something stuck in his sharp teeth. Tulip retrieves her bag. Digs out her cell phone. Insert. New voicemail. While she's checking the message, Cassidy tries the emergency exit. It's still blocked. He leans his shoulder against the door, pushing the parked car out of the way. That's how strong he is. Close on Tulip listening to the message. She half smiles in disbelief. Interior, truck, night. Tulip drives. Cassidy rides shotgun. Saw this Jesse
2: up and ditches you. No, no, no see ya. Gone. Yeah. Didn't know if he was alive or dead. Yeah. One voicemail, no explanation, and you're driving halfway across Texas to see him. Yep. And this makes sense to you. You'd like him.
1: Fuck, I envy him. Tulip lets herself smile. Cassidy watches the edge of her mouth. He's smitten. A knock. (coughs) Exterior, roadside motel, night. Tulip stands at the door to room 06 sees movement in the peephole as someone looks out. The door opens to reveal Jesse. They stand for a beat, just looking at each other. Then Jesse reaches a hand behind her neck to kiss her. She stops him. I thought you
2: were dead. I know. Every day I wanted to.
1: Leave me again and I will kill you myself. Understood. He pulls her in for the kiss, lifts her up. Exterior, roadside motel, interior truck, night. Still sitting in the truck, Cassidy watches Tulip disappear into room 106. Jesse gives a quick look around the parking lot, then shuts the door. Cassidy sighs, gets out of the truck. Interior, motel office, night. Cassidy takes a room key from the night clerk, a heavy-set Mexican woman who blinks at a rate that approaches slow
2: motion. This got shades right, on the windows? Because I could see myself sleeping late. The clerk just blinks.
1: She does speak English, but Cassidy's accent is impenetrable to her. The windows.
2: Ventanas. Drapes. Windows? Yes!
3: Yes, windows. That's
2: fantastic, windows! Windows? You're saying that rooms have windows in them? That's fucking incredible! You've revolutionized the hotel industry. Now, this thing is, I'm just speculating here. Some people might not. Some people might want the sunlight to burn them to ashes. So if we could block the sunlight somehow, that might help with repeat customers. What the fuck is that? Why are you going British at the end? It's hard. It's hard. Irish is rough. It might help with repeat customers. It might help with repeat customers. So if we could block the sunlight somehow, that might help with repeat customers.
1: Confused, the clerk takes a different key from the rack, reluctantly offers it to Cassidy. So this one
2: has drapes and the others didn't. That's why we're exchanging keys, no? She shakes her head. Just find a priest so I can marry you tonight. I can't imagine not having you in my life every single moment forward. A car pulls up outside. A door opens.
1: Cassidy stiffens. Sniffs the air. Without looking. And hello, Mr. Lawman. Indeed, he's right. Sheriff Root, 50, enters the small office. Root is a self described son of a bitch. Careful never to face him, Cassidy takes the first key and nods to the clerk. Gracias. He dozy does with Root, who evidently has questions for the clerk. Exterior motel office slash parking lot, night. Cassidy risks a look back. Sheriff Root is indeed asking the clerk something. She nods. Cassidy notices someone sitting in the back of the sheriff's SUV. The windows are down. Hey, yeah, know what this is about? As the figure leans into the light, we see his face is a grotesque distortion of normal human features. Swollen, melted, and waxy. A steady leak of saliva drips from his sunken mouth. Jesus, you got a face like an arse. Indeed, we'll call him Arse Face. He's 19, but you really couldn't tell. No offense, it's true. face points to Root, who is still talking with the clerk. Him is the da.
2: And this is your dad looking for a girl by chance. Maybe a girl and a roguish Irishman. Preacher. Vendidura. he
1: Got Burn him alive. Good hunting then. Hope you fry the bastard. He takes a few steps forward then doubles back. You know where there's a store? Food. I'll go. Obliged. face smiles in his way. Interior, motel room, night. Carrying a bag of groceries, Cassidy sets his room key down on the desk, listens, rhythmic bumping along with moans and squeals. It's Tulip and Jesse next door. Tulip, fucking hell. He turns on the TV. An infomercial for a kitchen gadget to drone out the noise. He retrieves four packages of ground beef from the grocery bag. Sitting on the edge of the bed, he eats large clumps of raw beef with his fingers. Slurps the blood off the foam. Interior. Motel room, bathroom. Night. Cassidy checks the shower curtain liner. Heavy white plastic. Light proof. He carefully unclips it from the rod. Interior. Motel room. Night. Cassidy hangs the shower curtain liner under the thin drapes. He's halfway done when he notices movement in the parking lot. Exterior, motel, night, Cassidy's POV. Guests in pajamas and underwear are leaving the other wing of the motel, crouching low. Some have their suitcases, but most are leaving everything behind. At the dark edge of the parking lot, a sheriff's deputy is herding them to safety. Interior, motel room, night. Fuck! He switches off the TV, listens. More moans and banging. Jesse and Tulip are still going at it. He pounds on the wall.
2: Tulip, quit your rotting
1: and look outside! They evidently don't hear him. Cassidy considers his next move, decides on bold action. He makes a fist, curses the forthcoming pain, and punches through the wall. Interior, Jesse's motel room, Night. Jesse and Tulip, both naked and sweating, look up to see Cassidy's bloody hand reaching through the drywall like a Romero zombie. What the fuck? Cassidy pulls his hand back, looking through the hole he made, smashed, he made. I almost said he made. he made. he made this hole. He can only see Jesse as he climbs off the bed. Tulip with ya, I thought I heard her. She sits up, pulling sheets around herself. Cassidy! You're gonna wanna get dressed. Exterior, motel, night. A helicopter flies over, its searchlight sweeping across a half-dozen law enforcement vehicles, ranging from state troopers to FBI to Homeland Security. Sharpshooters have three good angles. We settle on Sheriff Root, who leans back against his cruiser, frustrated to see feds running the show. Arseface, on the other hand, is excited to see commotion. You going to go home,
3: I was gonna go gruff. I'm gonna skip that. This is the sheriff, right? Yeah. You think we got Osama bin Luck? Osama bin Gandhi in there? Anybody can blow up a church. It's in the script. You can read it. Word. All right. Just from the top. You think we got Osama bin Gandhi in there? Any nigger can blow up a church. His deputy looks over.
2: You see the pictures from Anvil? People were incinerated from the inside out.
3: Fine, Martian niggers.
1: FBI field director Stockwell has the megaphone. That's directly from the comics, by the way.
3: Stock, wait, Root? Oh, the, no, that no, panel, that, those, yeah. that line?
1: Yeah. You go Stockwell? Sure. FBI field director Stockwell has the megaphone. Uh, oh, megaphone. <gasps> we got a megaphone? Oh. This is the FBI. For your safety, move away from windows and lie on the floor. Interior, motel rooms, night. Jesse and Tulip are halfway dressed. Cassidy has his face pressed to the hole he's punched. Jesse, I'm sorry.
2: We should have ditched the truck. Why would they be after you? You didn't tell them, eh? Went straight to the bouncy bounce. Who are you? Cassidy, your girl saved me. I was in pieces. Jesse
1: Custer, we have the building surrounded. Come out with your hands
2: held high. Jesse Custard? Wait, they're after you? You're the preacher. Something happened this morning. I'm not sure what. Killed a church full of... Killed a church full of people is what Arseface says. Jesse, are you okay? I don't know. There's something in me. I can feel it. I shouldn't have called you. What are you talking about? A beat. Right. I'm going to have to run for it. Special needs and all. No one's running. They're right to come after me. I'm dangerous.
1: Jesse kisses, kisses Tulip, then heads for the door. Exterior, roadside motel, night. Jesse exits with his hands held high. Squints in at the helicopter's spotlight. Keeps walking. As body-armored agents surround him, he drops to his knees, then lies on the ground. They cuff him, then pull him up to his feet. Jesse looks back at the door to 106, where Tulip watches with disbelief. Agents grab her, pushing her to the ground. She's not part of this! No one's listening. He backs against the men holding him. Fights to get another look at Tulip. They keep dragging him away. Jesse's eyes glow red. Let her go. Sorry, one more time. Let her go. His voice thunders, the same soul-chilling quality we heard at the church. But this time, there's more control. Without any conscious decision, the agents holding Tulip back away from her. She stands, bewildered.
3: Drop your guns.
1: Everyone! Each and every lawman drops his weapon. No debate, no discussions. A rifle falls from the helicopter. Sheriff Root pulls his pistol out of the holster, throwing it on the ground. He has no idea why.
3: The fuck are we doing? Shoot him! You
1: shoot him! But they can't. They see their guns lying on the ground and are powerless to pick them up. In the car, Ars face is fascinated. Cassidy steps out of room 107. Fuck! Tackle him! Nobody move! And just like that, even the idea of moving against Jesse is impossible. Tulip makes her way to Jesse. Everyone clears a path. Jesse gestures with his cuffs. Tulip takes the keys off an agent, who puts up no resistance. Tulip unlocks Jesse's cuffs. He won't face her, won't look her in the eyes. Jesse, through gritted teeth.
2: It's not me.
1: There's something else. It's... He suppresses a scream as a shard of swirling light erupts through his back. He fights to keep something inside of him contained. Suddenly, a blast of bright light radiates from Jesse. Everyone shields their eyes as it flares. Then suddenly dims. This time, no one is burned. Except Cassidy. The hand he shielded himself with is now a flame. He beats it against his body, wrapping it in his jacket to snuff it out. Jesus! Jesse collapses against Tulip. His eyes are normal, but all the strength has left him. We have to go. Okay, okay. She half carries him to the truck. Cassidy, come on! Cassidy reluctantly joins them. Helps load Jesse in the passenger seat, but then he shuts the door. He's staying behind. Don't think it's safe to be near him, given
2: my condition. He holds up his scorched hand as proof. What are you going to- I'll be aces. Go. Four of these smokies figure out
1: who's the bandit. She starts the truck. With a nod, she backs up and pulls out of the parking lot. Cassidy waves away the dust and immediately regrets not getting in the truck. Fuck. Interior, truck, night. As she drives, Tulip rests a hand on Jesse's face. He's asleep or unconscious. Exterior, hotel, night. Cassidy checks Stockwell's watch. The FBI field director isn't happy about this, but can't really put up any resistance. Right. What time is sunrise around here? 6.37. Points for accuracy there. Cassidy keeps walking, trying to decide which vehicle to take. The various cops, sheriffs, and FBI agents aren't quite mannequins, but seem incapable of taking any action. The helicopter is still hovering overhead. A strong wind suddenly picks up, scattering trash across the parking lot. A dust devil swirls near the building. Lights flicker and pop. Close on Stockwell, his breath now visible in the night air. The temperature suddenly... Dropped 30 degrees. A dark shape steps out of the shower, shadows, a gunfighter in a beaten duster. He wears two gun belts, each with a Walker Colt revolver. If Jesse's internal cowboy is the prototypical Western hero, this is the mirror image the saint of killers. Cassidy drops down behind, the Sher- behind Sheriff Root's cruiser, genuinely freaked out. He's seen the saint before, has some idea of what's coming. In the cruiser, Arseface tries to get a better look at the saint. Cassidy hisses. Arseface, get down! Down! Arseface hunkers down lower.
3: What am I going for
1: here? Uh, That's
2: the William Money one. Yeah, You want to be Clint Eastwood Eastwood from from Unforgiven. Through your teeth like this.
3: Here. Yeah, coming okay, and me. I'll give it a shot. Here we go. Where is it? Where's Genesis? A sea of empty faces. If you're talking about the preacher, he headed west with a girl. They're all yours. Reckon so.
1: With no haste, the saint of Kellers draws both revolvers, takes aim, and f- fires, killing every man he sees. On his fourth shot, we move into extreme slow motion, tracking one of his bullets. As it leaves the barrel, it is composed of nothing but smoke and flame. Distinct screams and cries swirl within it. The bullet hits Stockwell. As it passes through his chest, it unmakes him, flesh and bone dissolving into basic elements. Back to real time, the saint keeps firing. He never has to reload. Without even looking, he fires up into the helicopter. A beat later, the bird drops out of the sky. It lands on two vehicles, erupting in flame. Sheriff Root stares down the bullet that blows his head apart. Go! Cassidy hushes him, keeps him hidden. With just a few more shots, the saint has killed every man in sight. He holsters his gun, starts walking west. As a wind picks up, the gunslinger disappears into dust. The night is quiet except for the crackling flames of the fallen helicopter. Arsface stumbles out of the SUV, crouches over the headless body of his father. Cassidy surveys the wreckage. Arsface seems to be the only other person left alive.
2: Sorry about your da there. You can drive, right? Arsface nods. We gotta find Tulip and the preacher before he does. Hmm? Close on Cassidy Cause that there was the saint of killers Which means whatever the preachers got in him It's worse Fade out
0: (laughs) This
2: shit's awesome it's really, really good. I'm like, I'm like, like a little girl, like,
3: oh, I'm so excited,
2: like,
1: yeah, I cannot wait a whole week to
3: come back and do more of this. This is awesome. Like a true guest star, all of my voices has died in and out. Of, <laughs> of what I'm like I appreciate y'all keeping me to that archetype.
1: That's fine. You know, you got to come back and finish the script, though.
2: I'm, yeah, yeah, wait, you got to be the uh, Santa killers.
3: No, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm going to watch a lot of Eastwood this weekend. It's going to be good. Just bring a bring a
2: cheroot and stick it in your mouth.
3: Oh, oh yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, mind.
2: I don't know if John
1: August would be down with me uh, saying this, but you guys should also watch the show. Because, okay, so I visited the set of the show, and the Santa of Killers, after they cut a scene, he walked off the set directly at me, not in character, just the actor, uh, Graham McTavish walking toward me and he looked like he was coming to murder me. Awesome. He looked so fucking scary. <laughs> and I was like holy shit just walking around you look like you're ready to murder. And he's like, "Oh, ha. he's British."
3: <laughs> Which ways catering.
2: <laughs>
3: I'm about to murder some tacos. <laughs> Crafty.
1: <laughs> so uh yeah, the the show's really great. Uh and I don't know, John August here might be a little heaved at the show because his movie isn't happening for sure now because the show Because the happened. show, yeah. But um, we'll do our parts to bring this shit to life.
2: Well, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. It's hard when there's one right after the another. I'm not trained yeah. hard enough to do that yet. So You're doing to switch your accents up. Yeah, yeah. Texan, and, Irish, and, Texan, And Irish. I'm trying to have, I'm having to remember them exactly right. too. Like, yeah, it's good training. I like there is that fun
1: now when i read the comics every time cassidy said jesus jesus and jesus. it's spelled just like that uh i was like man i don't know if that's racist or but then i found out that uh garth ennis is irish so pff, fair game dude <laughs> jesus if you want to spell it jesus then more power to you sonny boy <laughs> the only
3: character he's actually right and true to rights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll get this one.
1: And I got this one. Here's the other thing. Preacher is the quintessential American story. It's about a Texan preacher on the search for God whose imaginary guiding light is a cowboy, John Wayne. Sure. It's the most American thing. Written by an Irish guy. And the show has the preacher played by a British guy, Tulip played by an Irish girl, the Irish vampire, played by a Scottish actor. <laughs> the Saint of Killers, cowboy guy, played by a British man. There's like not an American on set.
2: Right. That that's there's certain. no
1: truth in this art. <laughs> <laughs> no and, who, who needs it. And it's amazing. So S- um sold me certainly.
3: I'm gonna pop a few episodes for sure. Yeah. For a nice yeah. One.
1: The script is amazing. The show is amazing. The comic is amazing. Top-to-bottom amazingness, I don't know how we lucked into this. I, I'm i I'm delighted. I mean, I figured for sure a preacher script that didn't get made.
2: Kelly's going to hear this and be so God, mad.
1: Shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know
2: what? Shit. That's what she gets for working so Oh, much. have fun wherever you're at, dressed up in sexy outfits. No, no, she's traveling for work. Oh, like real work? Yeah. Oh, so she's not addition, LARPing or...
1: In addition to being a world-traveling LARPer and a cosplayer yeah. and a model, she has like a real grown-up job in corporate America. She's
2: so much more of an adult than I am. She really is. Yeah,
1: She's in a, more of an adult than all of us. Yeah. Well, I don't know right, about right. you. Are you an accountant no, or something?
3: You <laughs> seem like an accountant. <laughs> I'm an accountant, Oh, for sure. <laughs> He's an accountant of Funko Pop Toys. That's right. I just keep counting the same seventy ones (laughs) over and over again. My fiance is getting really suspicious where the money's coming from. I I've limited
1: myself to one Batman and one Mojo Jojo that are uh, that that were gifts. I didn't even pay for them. Oh, see,
3: you're a god amongst mortals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and these little Batman ones that came with my Batman the Animated Series box set,
3: of Mm. course. Mm.
1: How many How many do
3: you have, Jeff? I'm a
1: terrible accountant.
2: There's there's (laughs) at least a hundred at minimum.
1: No, I can see. Like I said, I had to limit myself. Yeah, It's because every time I go to a store and I see how awesome they all look and they're not expensive, I'm like, I could easily drown in these. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It'd
3: be be a lot easier if they weren't like obscure ones, if it was all just like Batman and Star Wars and stuff. But like I walked in and I found like a Jack Burton one from Big Trouble in Little China. I'm like, of course. Like, How young are you? Oh, Jack Burton from Big Trouble
1: in Little China is obscure. Come on, guy.
2: Come on. He's actually extremely young. Tell is him it, how, I
3: turned 30 in July.
2: He's always Make been the youngest of our, our, our crew.
3: Also a lot of Nick at night. Yeah.
1: You know? yeah fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. See what I want. Are some dark gently ones. They're not making them. I mm. got canceled after two seasons, despite Aww. it being awesome, but that's not what this is about. Um, so Jeff over here, he's, he's got nothing for you. He, uh, He's got that podcast that he doesn't do anymore, but he might start doing it again. So look up <laughs> Casual Filth. Is it on iTunes? It is on Stitcher.
2: It's on Stitcher. It's Stitch. on Stitcher. Is yeah. it still there? I'm pretty sure kind of maybe.
3: Go, go, guys, guys. Hey. Oh, yeah. there's
2: a Facebook page still. That still exists. If hey. you're
3: into movie classics from 2018, I'm hey. telling you, this
1: is the spot. Hey, you uh, you're <laughs> listening right now. I want you to listen to the sound of my voice. I want you to just go Google casual filth google it stitcher it itunes it look for it everywhere and when you find it listen to it mm. this has been delilah <laughs> delilah
3: fade out
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh don't forget to check out josh on uh joshua you
3: got it perfectly you can
1: check that's out that's it right there check out his uh That's voiceover my vo- work you voiceover
2: can- work and uh if you want to connect with me just shoot me an email on my website i'm also starting to do videography as well
1: yeah he has a, a camera do. um don't trust him with it though he uses an android phone so he's probably got the shittiest camera no. he just seems to have real bad taste in tech
2: am i not helping you uh well you know uh there's always that contingent that will do the exact opposite of whatever you say so I mean,
1: especially if they know me. That's true. I give <laughs> terrible advice.
3: This was way more helpful than I thought it'd be. He,
2: he, he, I, I, I met, I met uh, Sean on Reddit, and he was like, hey, do you want to come over to my house and read some shitty script by William Goldsmith, Goldman, Goldman? Goldman. William Goldman, where, one where, of the greatest where, screenwriters of all time. One of the greatest screenwriters of all time that talks about how sexy this five-year-old is. No, so I did not know that in advance. Yeah, yeah to be fair.
1: And to she be fair. Was four. <laughs> Jesus.
2: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Guys, uh, follow us, like us. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Table Reads, uh, tablereadspodcast.com. Um, if you go there and it's a little fucked up, it's because we're going, uh, we're having it redone. You know what? It's going to be redone in a week and this isn't going to air for eight weeks. So forget I said that. Go to tableweedspodcast.com. It's, it's newish. It's and solid. It's like brand it. new. Brand new. So, Branding. Um, yes. Tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe. And leave a review that says that we're great. And don't leave a review that says anything else. Because if you do, you're a shithole.
0: This podcast was created by Sean McBee. For more... Visit Tablereads Cut to black. black, black.